Turn to John chapter 14. We'll pick up in verse 7. And our second installment of Jesus the cardiologist, these cures, if you will, for our heart problems, the conditions of our heart about which Jesus begins and ends this chapter with do not let your heart be troubled. Don't allow yourself to end up with a troubled heart. And Jesus has already talked to them about the place he would go. You're going to one day, I know that I'm going to go one day, no matter what this world has for me, no matter what happens in this life, no matter all of the circumstances that may befall me, I know one day, as Jesus already said, he is the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me, but by him. And as he says that, he's answering the question, well, how can we know uh, that in your father's house are many mansions? He says, look, I'm the way, know me. So he's already told us that we, through Christ, have the opportunity to go to heaven. He's now going to elaborate on these things that keep us from having troubled hearts. He's going to take care uh, of addressing these issues that trouble probably many of us in this room uh, this afternoon. And so the next thing that he says, and we'll pick up in verse 7, and, and he says, if you have known me, if you had known me, he's not asking a question, he's drawing attention to the fact, Philip, you know me. And so as he does that, he's going to bring forth uh, this next cardiotherapy. And so would you pray with me and we'll ask the Lord to speak through his word. Father, we thank you for sending Jesus into this world that the world through him could be saved. Lord Jesus, we thank you for coming and being obedient to that plan. Lord, to offer your life a sacrifice for us so that we could go to heaven. And Lord, we pray now that you'd comfort troubled hearts, maybe even in this room today. Father, those that perhaps don't know if they can know you, but they can. And so bless your word, speak to us through it. In Jesus' name, amen. Verse 7 here in John chapter 14. If you had known me, and again, it's not a question. He's making a statement, drawing attention to the fact, Philip, you know me. You would have known my father also. And from now on, you know him and have seen him. And so Jesus is going to illuminate the disciples' minds to remind them that while no one can visibly see Father God, in fact, Scripture is very clear, no one can see God the Father and live, his holiness would consume us. Uh, he dwells in, a, in an unattainable place for us with our sin. So while we're here on this earth, we, we can't be in the literal presence of God. It's the reason that Moses only saw God's shadow, so to speak, as he passed through the cleft of the rock. But we actually have seen God. Not visibly, but in every way, shape, or form that your mind can possibly imagine... You can see God, and you do see God. And here's how we know that. How does John's gospel actually begin? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God. Amen? And so, who was the Word? Verse 14, and the Word became flesh... And dwelt among us. Jesus, the Word of God, is God 
incarnate on human, in human flesh on this earth. So as they're seeing Jesus and hearing Jesus, they are seeing and hearing God in that sense. Jesus is going to remind them, look, have you been paying attention? I love Philip's question, by the way. I'm a question guy. I kind of ask a lot of questions. I'm that weirdo that turns into the turnouts on the freeway and goes and sees the place where the guy's mother-in-law's father's aunt's uncle's cousin went and set up an oven and baked a piece of bread, and so it's called the bread turnout. I read those things. I like questions. I think God likes questions. God speaks to us. He wants to talk to you. He knows that you have questions. And so he's not being chastised here. Philip's not being put down because he's asking a dumb question. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it's sufficient for us. He's actually really asking this. He's saying, Okay, well, can we go outside and look up at the heavens and can you show us the Father? Can you actually point us towards him? Maybe there's some, is there some mountain in the northern regions of Galilee that we just need to go and we can actually see God? It's a very practical question. You say, well, you know, you're saying we can see him, we want to see him. Notice how Jesus answers. And Jesus said to him, in response to that question, after he's already said, you know me, you know my father, and from now on, you've known him and seen him. Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long and yet you have not known me, Philip? Do you realize what he's saying? He's reminding him, I'm God. You've been walking with me now for three plus years. Did you miss all the things that have been going on? Do you not get it? Don't you understand what's going on here? He who has seen me has seen the Father. That's pretty pretty plain, isn't it? Why? Because the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Because he who has seen Jesus has seen the Father also. Not the literal Father God who dwells in unapproachable light in heaven, but everything that God is, so is Jesus because he's God. He's nothing less than God. And while he put off the glories of heaven and came to this earth as a man, he is nonetheless 100% God. So how can you say, show us the Father? In other words, I'm standing right in front of you, Philip. Hello? It's kind of like one of those knock-knock moments. like, tap yourself on the forehead. It's me. Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father in me? He's already said, I and the Father are one. He's already spoken to them. I'm not less than my father. We are one. Do you not believe? The words that I speak, do you not do I not speak on my I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me. He does these works. Believe me. 
that I am in the Father and the Father in me, or else believe me for the sake of the works themselves. Jesus says to Philip, you know me. Did you know that God wants to know you? God wants to know you. Not that he doesn't already know you, but he wants you to know him. It's a two-way relationship. Just as Pastor Alex was saying as we began worship, worship is not only us Godward, but it's God speaking into our lives through that worship. As we receive back from him, as he receives that praise, he inputs into your life spiritual blessing and power. He gives you glimpses of his majesty. God wants you to know him. He's given us the word so that we would be able to know him. Throughout John's gospel, some 141 times, the word know or known is used. And each time, depending on the nouns that are around it and the verbs or adverbs that are next to it, it can have slightly different meanings. And there are actually four of them. And it's really important that we understand what Jesus is saying here because it is a very specific meaning he is pointing towards. There are four levels, if you will, of knowing. And the lowest one is very simple. Most of you in here, being the mathematicians that you are, know that two plus two equals four, amen? Most of you would not miss that if I gave you all a quiz when you came in, a sheet of paper, two plus two equals, most of you are gonna get the right answer. And in fact, you've heard that so many times in your life, you would just write down the answer, right? It's a fact. That's one way to know. A second way to know is actually the mathematic principle, which is behind what I just said. Because mathematics uses integers. And if you look at the mathematical formula, then you know that the sum is always equal to the total of the integers. And so that's why you can use your fingers if you've got four of them. If you take two over here and two over here, two plus two equals four. That's actually the mathematical principle behind the fact that you know. That's another way to know. In other words, you can go a little bit deeper. It's not just knowing the right answer. Probably some of you have children that got in trouble in math class because they would actually know what the answer is for something. They'd simply write down the answer, but the teacher would say, you need to show me the work, right? That's two. One is a simple problem, straightforward. You already know the answer, much like gravity. Most of you believe that the truth of gravity exists. We could all go up on the roof. We could enlist someone to volunteer to jump off, and then the rest of you could punch 911. Because what would happen is exactly what gravity purports, which is all things will accelerate at 10.3 meters per second squared towards the ground acted on by gravity until you went to the center of the earth. So when that person meets the hard surface of the parking lot, they're going to have broken bones. That's the truth behind the very obvious thing that you fall if you jump off a roof. But there's a third way. And that third way adds in all of the relational properties. And so as you begin to develop truth, as you begin to develop knowing, you can have a fact, 
You can have the formula, and then you can actually put it to work, right? You can begin to actually use it yourself. And if by experience you use something over and over and over and over again, you become intimately acquainted with that knowledge or understanding. That is an even deeper level than simply having an understanding of what the formula is and knowing the answer. That's a third way. And in fact, Scripture, it begins in Genesis chapter 4, uses this version of no for the physical sexual relationship between a man and a wife. It's intimacy. It's to so deeply know someone that you become, in essence, one with them. But there is a fourth way. And it is that fourth level at which Jesus is speaking in this passage. What is it? It means to have communion. It's to go beyond the head, and it's to go beyond the hands. It it gets past the things that you simply know and the things that you simply do. It is not mental knowledge. It is not merely experience tried over time. It is the spiritual. It is to commune with God. It is to be so deeply acquainted with God Jesus is saying, you can be so deeply acquainted with me that it goes beyond the physical and beyond the mental. It goes to the spiritual and you can know God beyond the facts and the figures, the truth. We call that when we gather at the Lord's table, communion, koinonia, fellowship. It is the deepest level at which we can know God and God knows us. Because God is spirit, and they that worship him, worship him in spirit and in truth. Amen? You see, what God is saying to us, what Jesus is saying to Philip, is you can know God. You should know God. And you should be so deeply acquainted with him that you join him in the spiritual realm of understanding. Know him. You see, there are things that I know about God because the Spirit of God has spoken them into my life. And they chiefly come to me through the Word of God. And we'll elaborate on this fourth one quite a bit more next week. But what Jesus is really saying is, look, you've seen me, I am God. You know me, I want a fellowship with you. I want you to know me the way God the Father and I know each other. Have you ever thought about God wanting to know you that well? To know you that deeply? Because here's the deal. God already knows all the facts and figures about your life. Amen? He made your days before there were yet any. He created you in Christ Jesus for good works so that you should walk in them. For those of you that are here today and you're follically challenged, he knows the number of hairs on your head even though there aren't that many. God already knows you physically. God knows you mentally. He wants you to know him spiritually. He wants you to be deeply knowledgeable of who he is. All of his qualities, all of his characteristics, the totality, the sum of what you have discovered in God's word, God wants that active in your life. You can know the creator of heaven and earth. That's nuts to me. 
Now, it's one thing, I don't know how many, if anybody in here ever gotten an actual invite to the White House from the president? I haven't gotten one of those. I got one from then Governor Reagan one time to go to Sacramento. Those are pretty, you know, you kind of hold those up. It's like, yeah, you got one of these? I got invited to the state house. The creator of heaven and earth has invited you to get to know him at the deepest level of human understanding. He's invited you to his father's house where there are many mansions. He wants to live with you eternally. He wants you to know him and him to know you deeply. That's nuts. When I think about that, I got invited to the creator's house. Get to hang out with Jesus. And anything I want to know, I can ask him, just like Philip is doing here. The book of Colossians is such a beautiful picture of this because it speaks of creator God. It says, nothing that was made was made without him, and everything that was made was made for him. He is the creator, and the one who created you wants you to know him at that kind of level. That is crazy. You see, maybe you think you don't matter. Maybe you think your life doesn't amount to much. Maybe if you're like me, I I was an unwanted baby. I wasn't wanted. I was a mistake. But oh, I was not a mistake in God's eyes. And neither are you. It doesn't matter what your circumstances of earthly parentage and birth are. God wants to know you. loves you don't forget that in that moment when you wonder whether you matter God cries out to you and says I want to know you and you can know me a third therapy that we have here You ever thought about this? There is an open phone line. Any of you ever, you know, remember when telephones used to actually have answering services and you would be queued up or if you call for tech support, you're number 37. Your wait time will be seven days and four hours and 15 minutes. You know what I'm saying? You know? And you kind of feel like, well, do I matter? God is never going to put you on hold. You're not going to be number 647 on God's list. You are always number one. His phone line is always open. He is attentive unto your cry 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days out of the year. God wants to talk to you. So when your heart is troubled... Well, it's good to have counselors. It's good to have people that you can talk to. You can always talk to God. All day, every day. And he's not going to give you a bunch of bum advice. He's not going to steer you wrong. He's not going to push you away from the truth, but draw you towards the absolute truth. Notice verse 12 with me. 
Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And he's saying, look, you guys have the Holy Spirit. He's going to illuminate that in a moment. He's saying, you're going to be able to do these things that I'm doing. Can I tell you that Jesus actually was not the greatest evangelist of that time? He was the source of the evangelism, but Peter led way more people to faith in Jesus than Jesus did himself. As far as Scripture is concerned. Not that Jesus couldn't, but when he left, he said, Look, I'm leaving you to be the light of the world. And so Peter, go to the book of Acts, read the first few chapters, and you're going to see Peter, Peter walks up, says 10 words, and 3,000 people get saved. He's saying, look, I, I want to talk to you, Peter. I want to use you. I want you to take what you know, and I want you to go speak to people. And what I've been doing is we've been wandering through the Judean foothills and talking to people, and a few people come to faith in me over here, and a few over there, you're going to see even greater things than these because you talk to me and you ask me. And I will give it to you. So he says, look, here's the deal. You're going to do these things, even greater, greater works than these he will do. Because I go to my father. He said, look, I'm going back to heaven. I came from heaven. I'm going back to heaven. But I'm going to leave you here to experience this incredible work that I want to do in this world. You're going to be the one who does it. It'll be me working through you, but you're going to get a hand in doing the work of the Father. This is crazy. Now, I don't know if you ever think these types of things. I would not leave the work of God in my hands. You know what I mean? I'm just being honest. I'm just, I get somebody else. Get somebody who's younger. Get somebody who's smarter. Get somebody who has more zeal. Get, just get somebody. Lord, there's got to be somebody better. And we can all probably think that way. We'll get Elon Musk. He must have a plan, you know. It's, it's like, I mean, he seems to be doing everything else. We'll just give him world evangelism. But God wants to use you to do amazing works. God wants to take your life, and he wants to use you to do greater things than these the things that Jesus did. This is crazy. How do we do that? He tells us. Because I'm going back to my father. Whatever you ask in my name, that I will do. And it's not saying every time you want a, you know, a new Mercedes or a, you know, a new home or more money. The reference point here is whatever you do in my name. In other words, Jesus, what would you do? I'm going to ask for that. If I'm asking according to your will, your works, your ways, if I ask those things, when I ask properly, those things Jesus will do. God is not your genie, just so you know. Because if he was, all of the apostles got shorthanded. Amen? They all died poor, and they all actually died for doing what God told them to do. So be really careful that you don't get caught up in some type of prosperity doctrine. Nowhere in Scripture has God promised to do everything you ask him to do. Unless you're asking 100% according to his will. Then he says, I'll do that. That I will do. That the Father may be glorified in the Son. 
If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. If you love me, keep my commandment. You you see, what Jesus is really saying is in the keeping of the commandments, in the acknowledgement of God's will in your life, the things that you do in his name, Lord Jesus, what do you want to do? And I'm going to ask for that. The quickest way to that is his word. If you ever want to know perfectly and objectively what God wants you to do, all you need to do is align yourself with his word and you're going to be spot on. If you ask according to his word, if you ask according to his will, and you do things his way, you are going to be asking for what Jesus would ask for if he himself were asking the question. That's why he says it this way. It's one of those amazing things that we sit there and think about. We try and, you know, ask ourselves, well, you know, I, I, just gotta, I, I don't know how to ask. Yeah, you actually do. The problem is, much like the, the hymnist, oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear, all because we do not carry every last thing to God in prayer. We, we don't talk to God. We, we don't ask. We don't know what his word says. And so we start asking for things that God clearly isn't going to do. I very often will, you know, people will be in my office and go, you know, well, you know, would you just ask God to bless our relationship? And I'll, I'll, well, what's your relationship? Well, we've been living together for 12 years. And I look at it, seriously, it's like, I, I can't pray that prayer. What I need to pray is that you both get right with Jesus. We've got to start there. You can't ask him to bless something that his word already says he won't bless. I can't do it. It's pointless. He's already spoken on the issue. Some of you will go, well, you know, could you just pray that I would cut back on my drinking? How about we pray that you don't drink at all? Because that will fix that. You know, I'm having a tough time with pornography. Well, maybe none is the amount you should see. We have to pray according to the will of God. And so if his word has spoken, that's God's word on it. Why? Because in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. So Jesus, the living word, bears witness of what the word says. You see, this book that you have in your lap, maybe you're a press and swipe book, but nonetheless, the book you have called the Bible, comprised of 66 books written by 40 different authors that were written over a period of time of at least 1,500 years, is a message from outside of our space and time so uniform and so perfect that to this point in time, there's not a single person that's found ever a contradiction within it. They have some questions. They have some things that perhaps they don't understand. But it's perfect. And the reason that's important to you is God wants you to know him. 
And so he spoke to you in advance by the word. For the word of God, authored by the Holy Spirit, was given of God for doctrine, reproof, correction, and instruction in righteousness. So as you read the word of God, you take in the word of God, you know how to communicate to God. You know what he expects of you. You know how to interact with the God that created you. And so he says, when you pray, pray this way. You have to pray in faith. You you can't just pray with your flesh. You, You have to actually ask God. That's why James says very clearly, he says, you have not because you ask not or you ask amiss or incorrectly or wrongly. If you want to know how to pray, the best way to do it is to read the Bible and pray whatever it says. Amen? It's not, you know, get, God, can you bless me on my terms? Now, God, because he's good, sometimes blesses us just because he's good. But if you want to have a direct line access to the perfect plans of God, pray the word of God over your life. That's why it's so important for us to understand fully what the word of God says. That's why Paul, as he wrote the book of Romans, said faith comes by hearing and hearing comes by the word of God. So pray in faith. Address your prayers properly. Where's Jesus right now? Anybody know? He's in heaven. He's sitting at the right hand of God the Father ever making intercession for you. And so what Jesus is doing, he's sitting there at the right hand of God the Father. Hey, Dad, can you take care of this? Jeff and I were just talking. And he said you could really use some help. Address your prayers to the Lord. Thy will be done. The Lord's Prayer begins with, hallowed be thy name. Amen? Make sure your prayers are addressed the right way. And pray in obedience to the things that God wants for your life. Paul, as he wrote to the church at Thessalonica in 1 Thessalonians 5, he says, we're to pray without ceasing. Can you imagine how different our lives would be if while the line is open from heaven to us, very often we don't get on the line with God, amen? We need to pray without ceasing and in everything give thanks for this is the will of God in Christ for you, for me. God's will is that the line stay open between the two of us and that we talk to him all the time. But a lot of people's prayer life looks like this. Help! Can't you see I'm dying here? When actually God wanted to keep you from dying in the first place. But you never asked him. You never inquired of the Lord. You got where you are because you went without him. Pray without ceasing. The final thing... Notice what he says, verse 16, last couple of verses here, and we'll close. And I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper. And that word there, helper, is actually a, 
unique Greek word. It's only used here in John's gospel. It's parakletos or paraclete. And it can mean advocate. It can mean attorney, believe it or not. Helper, comforter. That he may abide with you forever. And he names him the spirit of truth. You're going to get another helper. Jesus is leaving because he doesn't want to leave you as orphans. Notice this, whom the world cannot receive. People without faith in Christ who have not believed cannot receive the power of the Holy Spirit because they have not asked. Because it neither sees him or knows him. But you do know him. You know him. For he dwells with you and will be in you. Jesus is actually saying that in a future sense, because the day of Pentecost is coming, he's going to die on the cross. He's going to be raised three days later. He's promising them this other comforter. That comforter is going to come in Acts chapter 1 and 2. Holy Spirit dwelling in us. You ever thought about that? The third person of the Trinity actually dwells within every single believer. Every last one of you who have named Jesus as your Lord and Savior has the third person of the Holy of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, who is listed here as a he, by the way. Not some ethereal thing. It's not like the force. The person dwells within you. You have built-in guidance, built-in GPS, Convicting you of sin and righteousness, helping you know which way is wrong and which way is right, built in the spirit of truth. The spirit of truth is going to guide you. Notice what it says. Dwells within you and will be, will be within you, and I will not leave you as orphans, but I will come to you. You see, Jesus is taking care of our hearts by reminding us we're not alone. You don't go through life without guidance. If you're a believer, part of the problem that we have is we don't like the guidance we get. And so we go, well, you know, Lord, that couldn't be you. The Holy Spirit's speaking to you. The Holy Spirit's talking to you. The Holy Spirit is in you. That little, still, small voice that's within you is going, no, you probably shouldn't do that. Or yes, you should really go the other way. We're going, then I don't like that. Holy Spirit's in you as a believer. Always been around you in Old Testament times upon people, and now in New Testament times when you believe in you, wanting to work out of you. You have that advocate. I don't know how many of you watch uh, silly shows on TV that are, you know, simulated courtroom things like Judge Judy or whatever. You've probably watched what is called in legal terms a sidebar comment. The, the plaintiff, possibly, uh, maybe the defendant will, will all of a sudden, their attorney will say, you know, come on over here. And they'll walk off basically away from the judge and they'll whisper a couple of things. And then they'll come back. I, I plead the fifth. You're not able to hear what was said, but there was enough said by the advocate, the attorney, to help you know, 
you probably shouldn't say that. How many of us in our marriages need a better listening ear for the attorney? Amen? Probably shouldn't say that or probably should do this or maybe that little word that needs to be spoken into your ear you're just not listening to. You see, the person who's going back in front of the judge has the opportunity to either believe or not believe. Can either take that counsel or not take that counsel. Can act on it or not act on it. And the Lord Jesus is saying to you this morning, to me this morning, you need to hear what I'm saying and then do something with it. That's why I'm telling you these things. We have the Holy Spirit as our comforter, our advocate, our helper to come alongside, to to assist us with strength when we don't have strength, to give us understanding when we don't have understanding, to speak knowledge into our life when we don't know what we need to know. That's a comfort to our hearts. It's, it's the medication of truth, if you will. Would you stand with me? You see, the spirit of truth wants to invade your world. The spirit of truth wants to speak into your life. But the Holy Spirit won't make you respond. You need to respond. You say yes. Otherwise, you still have a troubled heart. You can keep all your stuff and you can try and do it yourself and you can wander through life with whatever you can figure out or you can ask the comforter to come back alongside of you and give you counsel. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Amen? Trust in the Lord with all of your heart and don't lean on your own understanding, but in all of your ways, acknowledge the Lord and he will guide and direct your path. That's a work of the Spirit in your life. That's you saying, God, I don't know everything. I need you to tell me what I need to know. You need to take your medication. You know, if you've got a heart condition, you go into your cardiologist, he gives you a couple of pills, maybe you need to be on some blood thinners or whatever. It's your choice whether you take the pill or not. He can tell you, look, you're going to blow a heart valve. And you can go, no, I'm not. Or you can trust that all of that education, all of that medical school, the learning that's been undertaken is going to bear some kind of fruit in your life. Now imagine that the one who knows everything wants to speak to you personally and keep you from having a troubled heart. That's the role of the Holy Spirit in your life. To speak truth into your life so that you would walk with the Lord closely. Don't miss it. Don't have a troubled heart, family. As we leave today, prayer team's going to be available. Maybe there's something on your heart and you just need to pray with somebody. Remember the line's open. You and God can handle that together. But it's always good to have somebody come and come alongside and pray with you. So avail yourself of that. But for us, Don't walk in troubled hearts. Walk in a freed heart, a heart that says, thank you, Lord. I want to know you, and I want to receive your counsel so that I can stay out of the things I shouldn't be in, and I can be what you've called me to be. Amen? Father, thank you for the power of the Spirit to move and to work in our lives. We thank you for the open line of communication that is prayer. God, we thank you for your truth that we can know you. 
Pray that you would take these three things, Lord, that are so important to our walks with you, that you just strengthen us in each one of them. Lord, would we all have a hunger for the word to know you? Would we all be more active in our prayer life, praying without ceasing? Father, would you fill us with the Spirit and guide us in all truth? In Jesus' name, amen.